0: Hi, this is Perry Marshall, author of Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising, 8020 Sales and Marketing, and Evolution 2.0. And Dove Barron has unusually great conversations about deep topics on his show, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation that we just had, and I hope you'll tune in. And the plant had reprogrammed its own DNA. Right. Okay, so this is like an M.C. Escher drawing where the hand is drawing a hand. The gene builds the plant, but the plant reprograms the gene. Yeah. It's very Zen-like. Absolutely. It's not linear. This is not a straight line this is a self-correcting process
1: that there right there is 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 quite the awakening because we we are linear beings we live in a you know on a linear timeline so we tend to look at the universe through a linear lens and to understand that there are many things in life that are not linear uh, maybe not even time <laughs> that's a whole other subject um but to understand this as you said this Ayrshire version of creation where the thing that's created is creating itself in a new form is yes. phenomenal but yes great line and that i think is something that people would have to hit pause on and go hold on a second if i'm creating something well, doesn't like me giving birth, and that's a linear? No, because there's an evolution to it. Yeah,
0: right, right. So she spent seven years gathering her research together and putting her ducks in a row, and confirming all of her hypotheses. She goes to a conference in 1951 and presents this. And everybody's like, they looked at her like she had an asparagus growing out of her forehead. (laughs) Like, woman, you're crazy. And like, uh, um, excuse me, ma'am, you don't seem to know that the genetics builds the plant. The plant doesn't build the genetics. And she's like, well, like she... She couldn't overpower them and she couldn't convince them. And so she just went underground for 20 years and she managed to keep getting funding and she managed to keep doing research, but she stopped publishing. Wow. But she won the Nobel Prize in 1983. Wow. She discovered what is called jumping genes or transposons, which are regions of genetics that move and jump around they're kind of like you can completely change the meaning of a sentence by moving certain words around that's what she was do, had discovered that that the plant the plant was reprogramming itself by using whatever existing code that it had to reconstruct and rebuild the damaged code and that this was actually an evolutionary event and it turns out that all organisms do this. Bacteria do it, mice do it, plants do it, humans do it, all cells do this. Okay. And and I I I see Charles Darwin, all he managed to do was raise a bunch of questions. Yeah. He didn't hardly answer any of them. Okay, she was one of the first people who actually started getting answers. Mm -hmm. When I discovered that, my inner geek went berserk. I was like, oh my (laughs) word. Because, rewind back to the argument with my brother in China. I was like, I've never seen engineering work this way. If this turns out to be true, this is going to totally change my conception of engineering. Well, what I found out was there was a reason they didn't teach me natural selection in in electrical engineering school. It's because natural selection all by itself doesn't evolve anything. What I discovered two years into this was Barbara McClintock figured out the plants know something the engineers don't know. Mm -hmm. The bacteria know something the engineers don't know. Like Microsoft Windows does not evolve by itself, but the germs, the strep germs that you're fighting when you take antibiotics, they are evolving by themselves and they can do it in 30 minutes.
1: So so let's, <clears throat> let's just pause there for a minute because um, in that context, isn't the evolution of the code then Um, generated by the problem, you know, using your analogy, uh, Microsoft Word, which is a piece of crap, Um, but (laughs) sorry, um, but it's gotten better because of all of its problems. Every software update of your Apple phone or whatever it might be, gets better because of its problems so you know we take the place of that jumping gene and we say oh okay here's the information that says this is not working as well as it could so we create that evolution so it's kind of the same am i right here am i understanding it right the evolution requires a problem the 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 evolution requires a breakdown it requires a fault it requires a recognizable fault that's a better clearer way of saying i think It needs something to say, this is not quite working right. Let's make this work. Yes, Dove,
0: you are exactly right. Mm. Evolution thrives on problems. Right. Okay. And only living things evolve. Mm. Okay. Computers don't. right cars don't picnic tables don't rocks don't living things do now this will probably get into us into a conversation about ai currently all of our ai is as dumb as a box of rocks right okay if and people go oh no there's there's these you know, self-learning algorithms and there's machine learning and all that. Okay, so thought experiment. Imagine that everybody on the entire internet, all the users, all the Google employees, all the Apple employees, all the Facebook em- imagine everybody hands off the keyboards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to take all of our hands off the keyboards and we're just going to let the internet run. hmm how long would it run
1: grinding halt
0: <laughs> you know one by one by one all these websites Lights would
1: start going down. Off. right it's not going off yeah
0: you could have a fascinating betting pool on which sites were going to go down first and how long is google going to stay up and how long is facebook going to stay up but you know, you know what would not happen it would not evolve that's true it would grind to a halt. Mm -hmm. And same thing if all the people driving cars took their hands off the steering wheels, right? The whole world, all of the evolution is driven by agency. If you read Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, it's all about systems that get better when you damage them. Mm -hmm. Every system that he talks about in this book, he never actually points this out, but I observed it every system in that book is a living system every one of them okay so economies are anti-fragile well of course they are because they're run by humans Mm. (laughs) An, an economy is a biological it's a it's a meta phenomenon of biological organisms right okay and 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 so and so living things do this, non living ones don't, and we don't know why.
1: So can, let I want to ta- I want to take a side side path for a minute because you brought up, you know, we're talking about code here, but we're we ended up back in, you know, and I know this is important to you back in the DNA and original code and all the rest of it. So are you familiar with Sitchin's work, Zachariah Sitchin? No. And the Sumerian texts. Okay, so the Sumerian texts, the ancient Sumeria, which are, is really the oldest form of knowledge we know. It what predates the the Greeks and all those. And the hieroglyphs are phenomenal, right? And uh, Zachariah Sitchin was the best in the world at reading those hieroglyphs. And Sitchin's uh, I met Sitchin in New York about uh, 20 years ago and I had a conversation with him. And he said, my job is to not tell a story. My job is to directly interpret what the hieroglyphs say. And he goes, and so this is a guy who was um, a, a wizard. I mean, absolute genius with, with understanding hieroglyphics and ancient language. So when he was a little boy going to Feda, which is Hebrew school, uh, when he was a little boy going to Heda, um and they would read a passage in Hebrew and then tell him what it meant. He would say, no, 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 that's not correct. And they hmm. said, what do you mean? He goes, well, that comes from the Aramaic, not from the Hebrew. You're reading it from Hebrew. And that's the translation in Hebrew. But actually in Aramaic, it means this. <laughs> Phenomenal. Like the guy was, a, and this is while he's like less than 13 years old, right? <laughs> but he became a master of understanding Sumerian hieroglyphs. And if you look at the Sumerian hieroglyphs, which predate the bible right in the way that we understand it Mm -hmm. you'll see that there's diagrams of dna Hmm. diagrams you can actually see them like i know that when we hang up you're going to go look for sumerian dna uh imagery and it will blow it blows your mind so and i'm sure you've come across this part of the argument now which i want to put forward to you which is um alien technology. So the alien technology, some the the, the 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 stuff around the Sumerian text is that there was alien intelligence uh, that came from Anunnaki, uh, which is also known as the 13th planet by astrophysics, um, talks about how this um, these travelers came here. And took the hominids and used them as slave labor, and then mated with them, and that—that's the actual evolution of um, our DNA. That we—that's why there's the missing links and all the rest of it. Fascinating piece, and, and may, I may have—I may have thrown another piece into the pile that you hadn't thought about. But it's you know, it's a very interesting thing because we we're about to, you know, it's still not. There's another piece of a problem that gets that creates an evolution, because according to that text, they had a problem on their planet uh, because their atmosphere was weak and they needed gold and they came here to mine the gold and they needed labor to do that and so the labor they used was the hominids that they worked.
0: So, I I can't say a lot about this, but I'll just throw out two rabbit holes that people could go chasing. Sure. So, first of all, what you're describing does have some resemblance to the part in the first chapters of Genesis, where it says these—I don't know—these angelic figures um, had sons and di- like they mated with the sons of men, or or something That's like true. that. Okay? Yeah, it does, and yeah. it's this very mysterious evocative story. Okay, so that's that's and, one and thing. Says,
1: and, and, and they said like it, it refers to God in the in the plural they and it, as you said it makes it with the sons uh, the son the sons and daughters of God. Uh, of men. Yes. That's the same so then the,
0: the other dot that I would connect is um there's this Guy named Gary something, he's got a blog called Techno Prophecy, and he made an observation that I thought was brilliant. He said, You can read extensive literature about Celtic stories of fairies and leprechauns and um and all of that sort of thing. There's a there's a 1912 oxford university phd dissertation called fairy stories of the celtic lands i think it is mm-hmm. and a, a guy did an entire phd thesis going around and 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 gathering yeah, all of these stories. stories about about um about Leprechauns and fairies, and which which those people consider to be very real. He said, "Has anybody noticed that the alien abduction stories and the Irish fairy stories are nearly identical?" Mm-hmm. Area fifty one, and then go read this nineteen twelve book. And I went, and I was like, "I'll be darned." Now, yeah. that is all I have to say about it. Like, I don't know, and it's not really my thing. And yeah, you know, so like I guess if, you know, let your freak fag fly if you want to go down that rabbit hole.
1: I've been down that rabbit, rabbit hole and I and I recommend that people do. Um if <laughs> only, you know, because one of my one of my one of my favorite things in the world, and you know, it's one of the things that I loved about our original conversation, Perry. Is that one of the things I see that you and I have so much in common is my I'm always I do do this with my clients but I'm always looking to do it with myself which is how can I breach my bias I, I've got yeah. bias. I know I do I can't help it that is in, inevitable how can I breach the bias and that's what you did when you put that stuff out to the to, to, to the atheist community uh, right. and, and I, I got it from a very good friend of mine many years ago who said go it uh, was actually a, a very good friend but he was also a teacher of mine who was a philosopher and he said to me go learn something you don't believe in and i said what? yes and, and he said go learn something you don't believe in and i said what do you mean uh, I, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me he goes that's the point point," and that's how i actually discovered sitchin because he said find something you think is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> and then study it. Right? So I well, studied, yeah, you know studying I... the Sumerian hieroglyphics and Sumerian texts. And I was like, oh my God, this is science. Oh my god, this is not mystical. This is not woo This is not new age. This is oh, you know, i just blew my mind.
0: Well, one of my favorite uh, thinkers and speakers is Ravi Zacharias, and he says. If you think somebody's worldview is completely ridiculous, it's because you don't understand it. Right. Okay. And like, you know, let's just just be a little charitable. Okay, you might think atheism is completely ridiculous. Well, it's not completely ridiculous to, I don't know, a couple hundred million people. You might think Mormonism is ridiculous. You might think Jehovah's Witnesses are completely ridiculous. You might think Hindus are completely well, they are completely ridiculous from within some other point of view. Now, what what you really what you really need to go looking for is does a worldview have its own contradictions that nobody wants to talk about? That's what you look for. And you never find that until you go deep enough in that worldview to understand what all the assumptions are in the first place. Because they're not assuming what you're assuming. And so I had to go down into a bunch of rabbit holes. In fact, one of my friends gave me a great compliment. He came into my library and he's like, Oh, you've got Buddhist books and you've got Hindu books and you have got Mormon books and you've got atheist books and you've got agnostic books. Like you actually engage with all these other ideas. I'm like, yeah. Of course. Like, shouldn't shouldn't everybody? Right? And it doesn't mean that I don't believe anything. Okay. I am still a Christian. I think Christianity is defensible. What 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 this did to my Christianity, it did a massive 80-20. the the deeper I went, and the more things I questioned, I became more and more certain of fewer and fewer things. And it was like the 1% that makes 50% of the belief system, instead of focusing on the 80% that's only 20% of the belief system, right? Like, I think you could, you could define a fundamentalist as somebody who's usually obsessing about the wrong end of the 20% of their belief system right like like i think i think christians who are trying to defend an absolutely literal noah's ark are not helping anybody like and i mean the way the exact way that it's typically read to you in sunday school Now, I think we have lots of reasons to believe that there was a Noah's Ark. We have 250 ancient civilizations with essentially a Noah's Ark story. I don't think there's any question that it happened. Okay.
1: Right there. There's a a bunch of stories that all align with that. And all all these great stories from the Bible if you bother to actually look and get out of your, your original biases and you step out and you go, well, where else does this story exist? And you right. just go, oh, the story of Moses, there's 10 versions of that that predate the, the the story of Noah's Ark and Gilgamesh, predate. There's many of these stories. And so it's not that they're lies, it's that they're held in a particular context And when you break open the context, you discover a bigger picture. Right. And that's
0: why I really like what Jordan Peterson is doing, because what Jordan Peterson is saying is. What is the archetypal truth that the story is telling that is universal to everybody? If you are pointing at that story and saying it's ridiculous and making fun of it, you really, really do not understand the story right so you know i i, bel- I believe there is a literal jesus i believe he rose from the dead but that that is a historical claim that you can go research on historical merits and and, and it, it's 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 a historical question that can be investigated and and so and so again like there was this It made me more and more certain of fewer and fewer things. It forced me to major on majors, ignore, like, and set aside the minors. And then where my niche ended up being, where, where I really felt I could make a contribution was because of my engineering background, I could come at this code question with a a technical specification, a definition of the problem. And now I'm starting to get traction with the top people in the science community to say, yes, this is actually a really important question. So, so, so what happened was one of my friends said, Perry, when your book comes out, because I wrote a book called evolution 2.0 and mostly that book is telling the untold story of evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Dawkins does not really tell you the truth about evolution, and Jerry Coyne doesn't tell you the truth, and and Daniel Dennett doesn't, nor do the creationists, nor the intelligent design guys. I I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? Mm. Why aren't they talking about Barbara McClintock? Why aren't they talking about Lynn Margulis? Why aren't they talking about all these evolution experiments where they got new species in 24 hours or 24 weeks or 24 months? Why aren't they talking about that? Mm. That is so much more interesting than all the stuff everybody's arguing about. And I, and so I had to write this book. So I wrote Evolution 2.0. It's basically an account of what do we really know about experimental evolution, not hypothetical, anecdotal. No, like, what do we know experimentally about evolution? So I had to tell that story. One of my friends said, Perry, when your book comes out, you need to change your $10,000 prize into a $10 million prize. And you need to get real attention. So I spent seven years raising money from investors. It was Horrendously slow. Like from the first pitch meeting to the first check took four years. Wow. Okay. <laughs> because this was just an idea on a piece of paper. Right. I didn't have a book in the bookstores. I didn't have the leading geneticist from Harvard Medical School. I didn't have a presentation at the Royal Society. I didn't have an invitation from Paul Davies at Arizona State University. I didn't have a talk at Penn State. I didn't have a talk at Notre Dame. But this is how all entrepreneurial ideas are. They start well, on- which K- you have
1: State. now. All of, I have all of this now, right? <laughs> but when you back need tell- not so much. It's kind of like going to the bank and asking for a loan and they go, no, you don't have any money. We'll know well, when you've got some money. <laughs> well, now
0: I have a waiting list. <laughs> I, have an, I have people, they're like, okay, if any of those investors like choke when the discovery is made, then I want to move up to the next slide. Okay. Yeah. So we have that, right. We got $10 million, you know, but like it took like, it only took me 15 years to pull this all together. You know, it's like another 15 year overnight success. Right. Well, now, now, now I'm getting engagement. Right. Now I got guys at Oxford university that are endorsing what I'm doing. And so, but, but look, it really was trading luxury for, for the truth. It's not an accident that the story of Solomon in the Bible is, Solomon has a dream and God says what do you want? And and Solomon says I want wisdom and God says well you could have asked for money and you could have asked for kill all your enemies and all this other stuff but you asked for the best thing you could ask for so I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you all this other stuff. Well there's that's a fractal archetypal this is a story of how the world actually works. If you seek wisdom first and you, you'll actually buy wisdom with your luxury, eventually, you'll get it all. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this prize. I don't know if somebody's going to discover it next year. I don't know if 500 years from now, it's still going to be one of the great unsolved mysteries. And, you know, there's, you, there's entire websites of science theorems that, you know, they've been around for 700 years and nobody's tracked them. I don't know. Okay, I can tell you this: if we discover this and if we patent it, probably all of us will be billionaires. And and we'll also have a problem. You know what the problem is? No. Howl 9,
1: oh, how nine thousand? Oh how
0: okay how okay because because if we solve this, maybe Siri will wake up. <laughs> yeah. We may we may not want that to happen, right? Um, But if people go, okay, so why are you doing that? And I go, well, because if I don't, Monsanto will.
1: Yeah, that's another issue altogether,
0: (laughs) right? But 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 seriously, like I'm already talking to people about this, and I'm already thinking about it. Last summer, I went to Harvard uh, and had a meeting with George Church. He's on my judging panel. Mm -hmm. He's the lead geneticist at Harvard medical school. He's a rock star. Everybody in genetics knows who George is. Um, In fact, when I, when I pitched him on being a judge for the prize, I said, George, if you don't like controversy, do not do this. And he goes, Perry, listen to me. He goes, everything I do is controversial. I'm trying to create Jurassic park at Harvard. So like, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. Controver- <laughs> I'm not afraid of controversy. I sat down and talked to him for an hour of like, so what could go wrong with gene editing? Like, we can edit genes as easily as you can now a buy blog post. Home kit. kits with CRISPR. Right. Okay. You can buy a hundred sixty-nine dollar gene editing kit on Amazon. Right. And 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 we had an hour long conversation about like, well, what could go wrong? Well, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. And then, okay, what if somebody does solve the evolution prize and we have real AI instead of fake AI, right? What if Siri is not as dumb as a box of rocks? What if, what if you start talking to Siri and there's somebody in there? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's scary, but you know what? We can't, Stick our head in the sand just because answers to certain questions might be scary.
1: Yeah, but I think that that isn't a big part of the problem. Is that we are afraid of we're afraid of the possible answer, so we we make a choice to be uh, to be uh, to, to remain ignorant.